Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm your host, Daphne Luchtenberg, and you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. From boardrooms to grocery stores, inflation is infecting everyone. Prices are up in the United States and across Europe. It's even higher in other areas around the world. Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the resulting disruptions to the energy, agriculture and minerals markets have made it likely that inflation will be higher and more persistent than even revised expectations suggest. Businesses and consumers are already reeling and tired of two years of global pandemic that disrupted the decades-old model of how things are made, sourced and delivered. Procurement leaders have told us repeatedly that this is the toughest market environment in at least 20 or 30 years. I'm joined today by Craig Reed, former Vice President and Chief Procurement Officer at Corteva AgriScience, and two of our McKinsey Operations partners, Marta Musakaleka and Roman Belotorowski. We're going to take a closer look at how the procurement function can be both an inflation fighter and a value creator. We're also joined by Ezra Greenberg, who's a global leader in McKinsey's work on macro scenarios and trends. In many ways, a new age of supply chain management has arrived. And with that is a growing understanding that the procurement function can raise the bar on value creation and help their companies succeed. Ezra, I'd love to begin today's show with you. There are a lot of different views on the current state of play across global markets. Can you help us lay out some of the foundational macro trends that are shaping the context for businesses right now? Yes, thank you. And uh, happy to be uh, with you all here today. I think the best way to understand the, the current context is to rewind three and a half months or so before the unfortunate decision by Russia to invade Ukraine. What's the story that you would be saying? You know, we're getting through this Omicron wave, which has been quite devastating. Inflationary forces uh, had built up to an extent that were quite unexpected. And that was in large part driven by the supply demand imbalances that were driven by all of the COVID shocks and the commodity price increases that came along with that and all of the supply chain woes that we've all been suffering many, many months. And you put all that together and you've got these imbalances which have resulted in uh, significant inflation. Because inflation became kind of more persistent and more widespread across the world and, and across different parts of the economy. Then with the Russia invasion of Ukraine, we had a second commodity shock that's actually still now passing its through this way through the system. And that extra jolt is really what has pushed central banks to the point what you're seeing now is, is pretty aggressive uh, moves to contain inflation and minimizing what the impact of that might be uh, on growth. Where does that kind of put us today? It puts us in an uncomfortable situation. The situation in Europe is very complex because of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. They're facing both a direct demand shock and a supply shock on energy. And one of the kind of the biggest downside risks, which is Russia cut off of, of natural gas to Europe, seems to be coming to fruition, which again is holding up energy prices globally and contributing to inflation. So there is a lot of volatility and a lot of uncertainty about the next you know, 12, 24 months. And our, our view is that this is not a time to try to be a crystal ball reader and, and, and do forecasts. This is a time to try to understand what's the range of possible outcomes in terms of scenarios, which variables will matter most 
for your business? Uh, and then most importantly, given all that, are you going to change what you're doing? Right. If there's a recession, it will be a recession, one that we haven't had. It's not COVID. It's not the financial crisis. It will be, you know, more, much more mild than that, but it's still a legitimate recession. And so the question is for your business, is this a short term, more firefighting piece or is there a significant change in, in your long term strategic posture, which would cause you to do different things? So when you think about labor markets, the most important thing is to understand that that labor markets are very different across different countries because different policies are being followed, not only in difficult times like we're in right now, but in normal times. So just as the structure of labor markets are different. And if you go back to the initial COVID crisis, the initial COVID shock in Europe, policies of furlough and, uh, and, and shortening of hours were actually followed much more uh, directly when the UK was, was somewhere in between. The disruptions in the US labor market have been massive, and that has resulted in significant wage inflation and fall-offs in participation. The impacts in Europe have been less obvious because of the different policies that were found. And again, the UK is someplace in between. But one of the biggest challenges that businesses are facing globally is the search for talent, the search for new workers. If you if you think about uh, some of the survey work that we've done, the impact of COVID really has been a change in worker preferences globally. It's not just about wages, but it's about the holistic kind of atmosphere and opportunities within work. And as one of our colleagues who recently uh, released this global survey data says, when workers were faced with the choice between the work-life balance, uh, this time they've chosen life. Yes, exactly, Ezra. And supply chain tightness and inflation have actually been part of our lives for some time, and they've really challenged sourcing for at least the last two years. In the next normal, will definitely be defined by a high level of uncertainty. Marta, how are you seeing business leaders responding, and what have you seen be effective? That's right, Daphne. Uncertainty, volatility, and challenges are probably the three key words that we think about when we think about the, the trends that ESRA introduced and their impact on businesses, right? Across the board, of course, we're seeing cost increases, challenges on revenue in some industries, uh, supply instability, which is incredibly challenging to deal with on a day-to-day basis, a talent shortage or a, or a change in talent preferences, like Ezra brings up, as well as challenges in setting budgets, right, to, to run the companies. So when we think about all these challenges and the inherent cross-disciplines uh, that they cover, what we're starting to see as the most effective course of response is really a cross-functional approach to the response, right? In which uh, the different executives with the CEO at the center work together to do several things. So we see a cross-functional approach be the most effective path to the response here. One, uh, protect margin, of course. Second, improve the resilience of the company. The last few years of, of shocks um, have really revealed where uh, weaknesses or vulnerabilities are in companies' supply chain and companies' market approaches. Three, to drive efficiency. Controlling costs is one of our is one still one of our best allies to buffering some of the uncertainty and the shocks that come from the outside. And then four, dramatically and permanently improve the operating models, which is something that I think we've become quite used to in a post-pandemic world. 
if we accept that these type of shocks and this type of uncertainty and this type of changes in our talent profile are here to stay, then how do we adjust our operating models to respond to those, right? That needs to be an integrated response from across the executive room, again, orchestrated and supported by the CEO. So that is really what we're seeing as, as most effective. No one function can do this alone and do it well, which is, by the way, a departure or, or, or an evolution of this line of thinking in the last couple of years. I think when 2020 hit and at the end of 2020, early 2021, when inflation really started to spike, everyone quickly looked at procurement and say, okay, CPO, go solve this. Like, let's go caca somehow. Now we're realizing that's not, that's not enough. Fantastic. Thanks, Marta. And Craig, I'd love to bring you in here now. How have you and your organization adapted and changed the way you're collaborating across functions? Thanks, Daphne, and really appreciate having the opportunity to be here. I think Marta said it well, this cross-functional approach is really the only way for companies to gain the momentum, stabilize, and continue to perform in a way that's going to deliver value on behalf of their customers. In this current environment, you need clear transparency from beginning to end to be able to perform. So much volatility, unpredictability, and challenges, as Marta mentioned, is extremely important to enable the organization to be able to manage the situations that are occurring across this entire continuum. And this resiliency discussion is probably the most significant one now because all companies are taking a fresh look at what does it mean to be resilient? You know, in the past, you know, you were driving for productivity and you were doing that on a global market that had some level of stability and predictability. Now that that's continuing to change, we really have to rethink what does the definition of resiliency mean for you and your company from a supply chain standpoint. So reevaluating that is also strategically important right now. And Craig, as you were talking about that, it prompted me to ask another question. Because this, the change has been yeah. happening, not necessarily the change, but the, the demand requirements have been changing significantly over the last two and a half years since the beginning of the pandemic. But even if you step back further than that, you know, we've had these mini shocks that have really driven requirements for us to think differently. For example, if you're doing significant business out of Asia, China specifically, you know, they had instituted some requirements around Blue Sky where they were really enhancing the environment and changing the way that manufacturers were required to operate. And that was sending many shocks in the system. You know, we've had other scenarios that transpired where we've had, for example, in the semiconductor industry, shortages of supply that have caused shocks in the system. You know, all of these things have led up to these discussions around supply resiliency or in-the-end transparency. And just so happened with this last major shock, it's really forced everyone to come to the table you think about the significant pressures to be able to deliver product in the current environment, it has been extremely, extremely tough. The strategic work is really what's going to continue to allow us to deliver the long-term value for the company. That means 
from a talent standpoint, that's a very different conversation than what we used to have. And so starting to really develop that mental muscle in your team is what's really important. And so we're today redesigning the organization to allow us to effectively manage what I would characterize as the day-to-day work that's run the business that's extremely important. It's the firefighting on today's challenges that pop up here. You have a delay in shipment here. All of those things that are driving, you know, hands-on deck activity, along with this long-term approach of how do you really start to drive and develop collaborative relationships with suppliers that are going to drive long-term value. And balancing that is extremely tough. But also having a team that can work in those two dimensions is also tough as well. So you have to invest in the development of your team to allow that to happen. Now, as we think about today's environment, you're really looking more in the end at things related to cash management, inventory planning. You're looking at the overall in-the-end product design in terms of how can we look at product more efficiently to be able to meet in-state goals and what level of innovation can the suppliers bring to the table that you can actually leverage. And so having relationships that allow both the benefit from that internal innovation is key. What we're doing today is having discussions with key suppliers around, you know, how can we start to drive these sort of relationships that allow us to have a mutual win by really going a lot deeper into what are the drivers of value for both of our companies in order to accelerate you know, those levels of opportunities to market. Thank you, Craig, for hitting on that point. And Roman, can I come back to you? I'm curious to hear from you. What will be needed of the procurement organization? Not only today to help drive more value, but in the longer term, because there is that opportunity, isn't there, to be an even more strategic function in the future? And I completely agree with Craig um, just around the need and the pressure that this is imposing on the procurement organization. To add a little more examples to that, we've been polling CPOs over the course of the last year and a half around what are the topics of, of main concern for them as procurement leaders. And up to about the end of 2021, it was all focused on the mix of you know price increases and you know supply chain disruption and scarcity topics. And then in the last six months, the topic of talent and the stress in the organization and the pressure that this environment was putting on, on procurement professionals became almost the top concern. Our procurement organizations have been in a bit of a firefighting mode for over a year now. And the realization that this environment will continue for two, three years, it's no longer sustainable with the resources and the approach that existed. And so that just is, is catalyzing this need for investment and the change in operating model. In terms of what it practically means, there's a few fundamental questions procurement organizations just have to answer better and be more prepared for than many have been to date, right up to the, this inflationary disruption period. For example, you know, what is our exposure? Understanding exposure to volatility, to commodities, to different input costs at the deeper level. Understanding supply markets and the dynamics behind suppliers. Oftentimes, we we know our suppliers, but few organizations really understood what is driving the supply chains behind our suppliers. And then when disruptions happen, a lot of that can be attributed to second, third degree effects that now we have to understand and, and oftentimes help suppliers mitigate 
through collaboration and and much closer you know involvement in how we work together. Oftentimes, that was an afterthought for many procurement organizations, and now it may be the primary way in which we create value. So there's a few very fundamental questions that procurement needs to mobilize for and step up. And there's a few gaps, I think, that that highlights where investments are needed. One is obviously talent. That means redesigning your organization where you can be more strategic. You have the resources looking at supply markets in a much deeper way. For example, with, with clients, that means we are rebuilding you know, the so-called center of excellence, right? That oftentimes have been limited to sort of pretty narrow topics. Now, this need to really closely understand much broader set of suppliers and supply markets means you need to put new resources there. You need to get new talent. And it highlights the need for technology. We face the reality that investments in technology and procurement have been lagging behind other functions for quite some time because you need both you know, investments in technology that drives the effectiveness of procurement, giving better insight to your category managers. For example, how do we track all the different indices that matter for my category and the market news and the, and the supplier disruption news? Companies are investing in market intelligence platforms, in, in much better shoot cost modeling, and putting all of that in front of category management, but also in just efficiency. In a world where a lot of your contracts are no longer based on any kind of fixed pricing, it's all indexed, we're having many conversations with clients about just the simple fact of issuing a purchase order now requires you to go through a whole host of indices and update a whole host of assumptions just to get to you know, the ability to issue a purchase order. So how do we automate that kind of functionality? Just to add uh, one thing from my discussion earlier, how do you alleviate some of the pressure from the day-to-day environment? on leveraging technology is essential in that process. Traditionally, you had everything that was fundamentally a part of your ERP system, but now you have a lot of like single source, best of breed technologies that allow you to leverage more differently an opportunity to drive value. This kind of end-to-end scope becomes so important because that's what's being impacted. And leveraging technology, not just for you, but across your entire supply base and supply chain is significantly important. Craig, in that example, you're highlighting the key piece around the cross-functional integration. To take it a bit further, what I'm also seeing is a very innovative way of tackling organization design. Craig, you alluded to this in your own organization as well, which is how do we think about organization design that structurally ties procurement closer to these main allies in finance and the business, right? Operations or manufacturing, seeing dotted lines, seeing straight lines, and importantly, also seeing a lot of biting talent from these adjacent functions into procurement to really enrich the way sourcing is done um, with this cross-functional margin preservation view um, on it. The role of the CPO, I think, is one that's very interesting. And the function also is very interesting. It's one of the few places in the company where you get end-to-end visibility to everything that's happening across all functions. And then you also get a chance to see what's happening across all of operations. And then you're also seeing what's happening externally. And so being able to bring those insights back into your company is key. With the volatility, the challenges, the unpredictability of what's currently taking place, it's very easy for a decision we made two years ago to not be the right decision today. And so being able to provide those insights is really important. 
also, the role of procurement, I've always stated, is it's really about being able to bring all these organizations together so that you can run faster with more agility and flexibility. And many times we think about what that means in our world, but it really means bringing the suppliers into that conversation a lot more than we have in the past, providing a lot more information than we have in the past so that we can drive better solutions in this highly constrained environment that we're working in today. And being able to balance and work that way going forward is going to be significantly important for us, especially over the next 12 to 24 months. It really means making sure that as a CPO and as a functional leader, that you're looking at the business holistically. And it isn't just about cost. It's really about how we driving the main aspects of what's important for the financials. And this is on the balance sheet and on the P&L and being very much focused on making sure that you're being an integral part to driving the success of the organization. And sometimes that means looking at the world fundamentally differently. Sometimes we're so focused on productivity and cost reduction that we miss sometimes that maybe if you spent a little bit more here, from a total cost standpoint, it's going to provide a much more significant benefit for the organization. I completely agree with everything Craig just said about the significance of the role. I think reframing the role of CPO from a guardian of part of company cost, right? As my mission is to kind of keep the lights on to how do I really help the enterprise succeed, grow and innovate? I think that is the main thing that current environment is highlighting. And while that may have been a reality for some industries, I think now that opportunity exists for basically every CPO to say, hey, I can play a much larger role in enterprise success. And that means I need to take a much broader view of the value I can add to the function. I see the whole value chain. I see the whole company. So how do I bring those insights to everybody across the organization and enable them to be more effective? That is the the unique sort of step of opportunity in front of procurement leaders today. Yeah. Helping the enterprise succeed, grow and innovate. I love that. Marta, final thoughts. The importance of talent. The real asset that procurement has is talent. Uh, You're not operating equipment. Um, So investing in that talent, fostering the talent further upstream, right? So working with colleges, working with unis, working in cross-functional training of your talent to me is what is required to maintain procurement as the core business strategic function that it needs to be and to continue staying ahead not just meeting and managing but staying ahead of the challenges in our context the stage is set for procurement leaders to become fully fledged strategic partners to the ceo the cfo and the coo They can expand from being the guardians of a portion of enterprise cost and help lead cross-functional teams that can navigate today's volatility, while focusing on long-term value creation. Thank you all for the inspiring conversation today and helping to bring clarity to our listeners at a time of growing uncertainty. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back in a brand new episode in a couple of weeks.